This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. to look at a quote just to get some wheels turning to start with I'm going to give this to you and then let you turn it around a little bit marinate on it we'll come back to it a little later from Heraclitus who was a philosopher before Socrates hundreds long time ago he said the way up and the way down are one and the same the way up and the way down are one and the same so think about that for a little while it may seem like a duh kind of a statement but it's relevant for us then I want us to visit John chapter 14 one more time, verses 1 through 6 or 1 through 7 that we've looked at for the past two weeks. And um, I think it's important that each week for now we just keep going back, reminding ourselves of where we've been, what we've learned to sort of set the stage for going a little bit further. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. So, Jesus walking with and hanging out with his close followers. And let me throw in here something that we should know by now. If not, it's time to get to know this. That the, the really, most of the really, really powerful, poignant lessons that Jesus taught, he taught to a, a small group of people, not to a huge number of people. He taught those things to those who were closest to him. If you go back and examine the Gospels and walk through the life of Jesus and examine the times when he taught these really powerful lessons, you'll find that he was sitting somewhere with a very small number of people. So I know that we sometimes it's easy to get this picture formed up in our minds, and it's a wrong picture, that everything Jesus had to to say and all the preaching and teaching he did was to big, huge masses of people out on the hillside somewhere. That's simply not true. <clears throat> he did have some things that he taught and said and preached to large numbers of people, but we all know what he did later, right? Later on, he sat with the small number of close followers 
And he explained in, in detail and at deeper levels the gener general things that he had to say to the large numbers of people on the hillside. That's why we call the men's group Fireside Discipleship because it was around the fire late in the evening after the masses had gone home that Jesus really dug in and explained to his close followers what he meant by what he said earlier in the day. And he told them, the reason I'm doing this is because you need to have the keys to the kingdom in your hands because I know where you're going and you don't. I know what it's going to take for you to be who you've been called and chosen and anointed to be on down the road some as you walk in the way. I know what that's going to look like and I know what's going to be required. And so I have keys that will unlock tremendous mysteries and secrets into the heart of God that you're going to find very, very necessary when you get to those points in time. Now, I don't know which category you want to be in. I'm thinking that if you're sitting in this house, you want to be in that category of the smaller number of people that's sitting around the fire at night having the keys to the kingdom placed in their palms. Because if you were in the category of those who just want to sit on the hillside with the large numbers and hear the general messages from Scripture, that you would probably be at church somewhere else right now because you know that's not the nature of this house. This is a fireside house, okay? And if I haven't made that clear before, please hear it today. This is a fireside house. If you need or want regular church where the masses gather, you're in the wrong spot. I'm all about digging into, going the extra mile, sitting around the fire, staying up later and getting up earlier so that I can get everything he has for me. I don't want anything left out there that I could have had. If it's available to me, I want it. If there's more, I want it, and why not? Y'all with me on that? Good. So... He teaches these lessons to his close followers. And then he knows that after he dies and rises from the dead and ascends back to his Father and the Holy Spirit comes, he knows what the way that these people are going to travel is going to look like. He knows what it's going to consist of. And he also knows, because he knows what it's going to be like, he knows what they're going to need to be victorious as they walk in that way. And he's feeding it to them consistently. He's, he's not just feeding them what they need in the moment they're in right now. He's feeding them what they're going to need down the road as they walk in the way. So, very, very... Um, pertinent and appropriate lesson for us. Not just for Thomas and Philip and Peter and James and John and the guys who were with him then, but for us. Why? <clears throat> because we're walking in the way. 
And because every day, if you're walking it in obedience, the way is going to present something to you that you didn't see coming. The way is going to present to you something unexpected, something challenging, something with a lot of question marks around it. That's the nature of the way. If the way was not like that, then we wouldn't need Him. If the way was just the human experience of getting up every day and putting our clothes on and eating some breakfast and going to work and, and coming home and cutting the grass and feeding the dog and kicking the cat and, and, and kissing the wife and going to bed, and that's just all we did over and over for 80 years and then we laid down and went away somewhere else, we wouldn't need God. We wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We wouldn't need any counsel. We wouldn't need anybody steadily feeding us truth if that's all there was to it. fact of the matter is that's not all there is to it. And when we make a commitment, we're going to walk in the way. We're going to face all kinds of stuff that's going to require that we have counsel, encouragement, strength, courage, from the Holy Spirit. That's why He came. I think over and over and over all the time about when Jesus said to them that one of the most important jobs the Holy Spirit is going to do when He comes to you is He's going to remind you of all the things that I have said. That, that took some pressure off of me because I no longer felt like I needed to memorize the whole Bible. I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to memorize huge chunks of the Bible. I admire people who can memorize a lot of stuff. My, at this point in my life, forget about it. Forget about it. I can barely sing the happy birthday song, much less memorize anything new. And so uh, in, some, in some arenas, Christian arenas, you're put on a guilt trip if you don't memorize Scripture. And I'm not saying I think memorizing Scripture is a bad thing. Of course it's not. It's a good thing. And I admire and appreciate people who've memorized loads of it. And there's some Scripture that I can quote, and I feel okay about that. But I don't feel guilty about the stuff I have not memorized. Why? Because I sit with it every morning, I deal with it, I toss it around, I meditate on it. I may not be memorizing it, but I'm meditating on it. And you know what happens over and over and over and over, and I can always depend on it, is when I'm in a situation, I'm about to make a decision, I'm dealing with a relationship, I'm dealing with the ministry and the call. And then most of all, when I'm dealing with people, all of a sudden, something that I read and meditated on and tossed around for a while will come back to me that I can use in that moment with power and effectiveness. And it's the Holy Spirit that brought it to me. I love that. And if it's available to me, why not? So when we walk in the way, we have to walk with open ears, open eyes, open minds, open hearts. 
in two different ways. One is so that we'll, we'll see what it is that He's put in front of us or we'll see whatever it is, the strategy the enemy is trying to use against us in the moment is called discernment and we'll recognize it for what it is and we'll know how to respond. That's why we walk openly and freely and not tie ourselves down with a lot of straps. And we could talk all day long about what those straps, straps look like, but I'm just going to leave them laying over there and move on in my freedom. We have to have His counsel as we walk in the way. Now, He's promised us. Put up <clears throat> John 10.10 10 again. Thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And we talked about the word abundantly, which is the word the King James Bible uses. And, and this, this version uses the word full, big life, full life, prosperous life, productive life, fulfilling life. That's what he's promised. To who? To those who are walking in the way with eyes and ears and hearts and minds wide open, hearing the counsel of the Holy Spirit and responding in obedience to what they hear, it's to those people that He promises that He came that they could have life and have it more abundantly. Remember, He's not Santa Claus. For anybody who lives it, you know, because we all know that that whole business of the nice list and the naughty list is a bunch of bull, right? Because terrible children get stuff at Christmas. So I don't even know why we, why we throw that out there because it's, it's just not valid. If you've been good, Santa Claus is going to bring you stuff. If you've been Satan Jr., he's going to bring you stuff too. So what difference does it make? He's, his promises, his promises are valid. His promises are good for obedient children. Not for people who just cry out to him every time they get in trouble. Every time they have conflict, every time they don't have enough money. Every time they're on hard times and things are not going their way, we yell at God. He's promised, yes. But the promise doesn't come part and parcel to just whoever wants it or claims it or asks for it. And then last week we visited the temptations. The reason we did that is so we could start. And all of us are at different spots. All of us are at different levels of maturity in the faith. But I, we can't start at a different spot for everybody, so we just start at the beginning. And this was the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. He's shown up at the Jordan River, and John is baptizing people. And Jesus walks up and says, hey, I'm next in line, baptize me. And John says, I can't baptize you. I know who you are. I'm not worthy to baptize you. And Jesus says, oh, you just listen and do what you're told. Uh, you will baptize me because it's right for you to baptize me. This has to happen because I'm showing, I'm starting to show you guys, my followers, what it means to walk in the way. He's starting at day one of his public ministry, of his public showing up for people to start seeing who he is and hearing from heaven about who he is. 
Because once he's baptized, a, a dove comes down. It represents the Holy Spirit. And a voice comes out of heaven and says, This is my son. And I'm well pleased with him. Validation from God himself that this is the Messiah, son of God who's shown up on the planet to save people from their sins and to point them on the way that will lead them into the heart of the Father. And what he does before he goes out and preaches a sermon, what he does before he heals a sick person, what he does before he raises anybody from the dead, what he does before he feeds hungry people miraculously with tiny bits of food, what he does before he speaks to a violent storm and says, peace be still, is he shows us what the way consists of by going out into the wilderness by himself. Okay. What does that mean for me and you? Uh, it means that when the saints come marching in, the saints will have already traveled a pretty rough road before they get to the beautiful highway with the musicians standing along celebrating and throwing flowers at their feet. I couldn't tell you how many times that people have jumped into, and these usually are people who've been Christians for a long time, but they finally get up out of the horrible pit of Christian mediocrity and decide to join the kingdom way and all of a sudden things start collapsing in their lives. I, <laughs> Tracy's like, oh gosh, it's not going to get anybody saved. It's not going to motivate anybody to jump in it. You know what it does? It weeds out the thrill seekers. It weeds out those who are just looking for heaven, just looking for a reward, just looking for a good time, just looking for a flash in the pan, just looking for a party. It weeds them out because that's not what it's about. Jesus gets baptized as an example to us and then he walks out into the wilderness to face the devil by himself. Because when you decide to leave the horrible pit of Christian mediocrity and jump into the kingdom way, you better know that the devil then finally will start paying attention to you because he pays no attention to you when you're wallowing in the pit of Christian mediocrity. He doesn't care. Go to church until you wear the soles off your shoes. Sing the songs and sign the membership form. Call yourselves among the, 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 those who are Christian. I'm here to tell you, folks, the enemy does not care about that at all. He doesn't bother us about that. That's why you walk in houses of worship all around the world. And they're by and large filled up with Christian people that are living pretty good lives and, you know, dressing up, putting on their good clothes and going to church and having a good time and talking about how good the service was. And the less words you have, the better the service is in a lot of environments because that means people got happy and had a party, but they didn't get any nourishment. 
And then they go home, and for the rest of the week, you can't tell whether they're Christians or not. That is not the kingdom way. And Satan could care less. But when you dive in and say, hey, there's more and I want it, and why not? I want to be a kingdom son. I want to be a kingdom daughter. I want to represent my Savior on this planet. I want to advance the kingdom of God in the earth. I want my light to so shine before men that they'll see my good works and glorify my Father who is in heaven. I want to promote love. I want to promote forgiveness. I want to give out of my abundance and out of my lack. I want to invest my time and my talent and my treasure into the lives of other people as God sets them along my path. I want to love my enemies and forgive them because I really, really need for God to forgive me. I want His kingdom to come and His will to be done on a daily basis in whatever doses He chooses to establish it in me. Perfectly, just like it's done perfectly in heaven every day. I want His daily bread to show up. Whatever form, whatever substance, whatever shape, texture, taste, smell it needs to take on in the moment. I need His daily bread to come day by day. These are the things I want. And what's required for me to get there is me to make a commitment to walk in the kingdom way. And when we do that, the enemy's going to start paying attention to us. And we'll have to spend some time dealing with him. Jesus did that as a model for us to show us what's going to happen. You're going to get tested. So he goes out in the wilderness and he's alone and he's hungry and he's tired and, and he's probably cold at night and hot in the daytime in that region. And the enemy shows up because Jesus is on a mission. He's on a mission to establish the kingdom way in the earth. And the enemy brings three temptations which are so applicable to you and me. Turn these stones into bread and feed yourself. And I know that ultimately you can feed the masses with stones because I know who you are. You're God. You have the power to do He never denies that He's God. He never says, oh, you're not the Son of God. That's a bunch of malarkey. Never says that. He says, I know who you are. I know what you're capable of. Just turn these stones to bread. Just do the right thing, but do it in the wrong way. Oh, there's the lesson. Do the right thing, but don't do it the right way. Second temptation. You can rule the world. I know you have the power. I know where you came from. I know you were there in the beginning when God spoke and said, let there be light. And you as the living Word who goes forth and accomplishes the will of the Father went out from the Father, Father and were actively involved in creation. I know who you are. So, so look, you can, you can rule the world if you'll just bow down and Worship me. In other words, do the right thing. Just do it the wrong way. And the third temptation. 
Work a huge miracle so that people will point to you and say, do you, did, you, did you see what he did? Did you hear about what he did? He went up on top of that steeple and he jumped off and he hit the ground and got up and walked away without injury. Can you imagine the impact it'll have? Is there anything wrong with miracles? Healing? Deliverance? Raising the dead? Feeding the hungry? Calming the storm? No. But the enemy tempts him by saying, hey, do the right thing. Do the good thing. Just do it the wrong way. So, this word evaluation came to me this week. Hit me between the eyes. And I've come to understand over the past few days that there is huge, huge power in the process of evaluation. I'm right now at work doing employee evaluations, and it's tedious because I make a, a copy of a self-evaluation form, which is five pages long, and I give it to them, and they complete a self-evaluation, an evaluation on themselves for last year as an employee. And then I do an employer evaluation, and I complete it based on my evaluation of them. And then we set an appointment, and we compare evaluations. That is a really powerful tool in the world of employment and work because what it can do is it can help you to weed out people who don't belong where they are or move them from this spot to this spot because they're better suited for that spot or it can help you to understand something about what's going on with them and in their work that can be fixed. Very powerful tool. Well, in the kingdom, it is about going. It is about walking this path, this road, this trail, the way. But it is absolutely not just okay, but necessary that sometimes we just put it on pause and we do an evaluation. And there's, there's, there's a few things we're doing around here that I'm evaluating heavily and and right at the time when I'm studying all of this and other people start saying things to me and calling me up and want to have conversations about some of the things that we're doing and whether what we're doing right now is necessary still or whether it may be a good thing and a right thing but right now we're doing it the wrong way if we don't have the willingness to drop our pride and evaluate ourselves according to the Word and by the Spirit and be willing to make changes and adjustments. It's not an acknowledgement of mistakes. It's a commitment to make sure we're doing it right. I know you're wondering what it is. Just hang on. We have to have a willingness to change. And all this happens as we follow, follow, follow. You see, when Jesus 
sat with those guys around the fires, when he sat with the small groups, he just gave them little, little bites to chew on. Just crumbs to chew on. He knew that they in no way had the capacity to manage the whole business at one time. So he just fed them little bits and pieces. And even, listen to this, even after he had left and gone back to his father, he had not touched the surface of the depths of what's in the heart of God that he had for them. Because he knew it wasn't over when he left. It was just the beginning of their walk on the way. And that they were going to continue to learn and grow and mature and to receive counsel from the Holy Spirit that would take them to new places and to deeper depths in their understanding of who He was and how He works and what He had planned for them down the road. Because every day should be a learning experience for us in the kingdom. Every day should be a growth experience for us in the kingdom. I've said many times that the day we die, we should be stronger in our faith. We should have a greater knowledge, a greater level of understanding, and more wisdom that we've, than we've ever had in our lives. Because every day we should gain a little bit more. Follow. Follow. So back to the quote. Briggs, if y'all can put that. The way up and the way down are one and the same. I want to, not everything I've said to you today may have been really um, exciting and uplifting because we've acknowledged that the enemy has targeted us. I'm not too worried about that because I know who's on my side. Louis Giglio, pastors, Passion City Church in Atlanta, he said, this is not word for word, but he said something like, um, I just forgot what he said. <laughs> It'll come back in a minute. The way up and the way down are one and the same. Here's my encouragement to you. Because we've talked about how this way is forward progress, right? This way is growing and maturing and moving to the next spot. This way is about a little more light being illuminated on the path day by day. And we've talked about how Jesus is the way. And that his mission is to take us into the heart of the Father. The scripture from John 14 that we read a few minutes ago. I'm going to prepare a place for you. The place is in the heart of the Father. He said, in my Father there are many dwelling places. I'm going to create a dwelling place in the Father for you. 
And so day by day we get up and we seek Him out and we listen to His words and we dig in in prayer and devotion and meditation and we allow Him to take us a little closer into the heart of the Father. But here's something really powerful and really encouraging for us to take with us and chew on this week. It's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. And we haven't been left to do all the work. You see, at the same time, you're trying to get to God. God is trying to get to you. And Jesus is the way that facilitates both of those processes. The Father is so interested in you. He cares so much about you. He wants to see you succeed as a kingdom son or daughter. He has a purpose for which He has placed you here on this planet at this point in time. And He is steady pressing toward you. You see, none of us can handle all of God at one time. It's made pretty clear to us in Scripture that were God to walk in that back door right now, in His fullness and all of His glory, we would all drop dead on the floor. We couldn't manage it. If He were to establish in our minds right now everything that's in His mind, our heads would blow up. He's God, we're human beings. We cannot manage all of God at one time. He gives Himself to us in glimpses. He lets us see His glory in flashes, sometimes big and sometimes small. He wants us to learn of Him and know of Him in process, the Scripture teaches us. And we are on a mission to get to Him. But He's also on a mission to get to us. He's coming to us while we're going to Him. And when I thought about that this week, it it brings powerful sense of hope and encouragement to me to know that God is pressing toward me at all times. He wants to know me, and He does know me, and He wants me to know Him in in more and more fullness every day. And He wants the relationship to grow. And He wants us to truly be Father and Son. And He wants me to really fully accomplish the purpose for which He's placed me here. I thought about when Jacob had his dream, and he saw a stairway going to heaven and he saw angels ascending and descending. And that really brought the truth home when you, when you picture angels going back and forth. It's a symbol, it's a picture of God being so interested in us that He's constantly coming to us as we constantly ascend to Him little by little on the pathway we're calling the way. Hope comes as we travel this way the kingdom comes as we travel this way his will is done as we travel the way a couple years ago at Jesus Jan this guy preached and he talked about how important it is to raise our hands in worship I used to be really timid about any expression in worship you know I'm kind of shy by nature and all that kind of stuff and just you know, once in a while, maybe this kind of thing right here.
once in a while a little of, of this, maybe sometimes here and there. And now it's like almost every time we're in worship, I feel compelled to lift my hands. I'm not trying to tell everybody how to worship. I'm not trying to say whatever you're doing in, in worship is wrong. I probably would step in and say that uh, whatever you're not doing in worship that you know you should be doing is wrong. But for me personally, I feel compelled to lift my hands. And, and when I lift my hands like this, and I do that sometimes, but inevitably the thought that's going to come to my mind is, reach! Reach! This is lazy. This is, this is sitting in a posture of expectation that He's going to put something in my hands, that He's going to drop something on me. Takes me back to this gross misunderstanding I used to have about worship altogether. And that is that we come together and we make some noise with an expectation that God's going to drop a lot of stuff on us. And when He drops it on us, we're going to get really excited. That, that, that may factor in sometimes, but that's not all there is to it. And the word reach just comes. And when I lift my hands, I, I just don't feel satisfied until I've got it like this. You know, sweat, sweat ring and all. Available for the world to see. It don't matter. I feel like I'm doing more than just some act of worship that we've learned or that we've seen other people do or that has been taught to us, but I'm actually reaching for God in worship. And what Tom said when he was preaching was, do you know what's happening while you're reaching for God? While you're reaching up to Him? He's reaching down to you. It's mutual. It's a two-way street. It's the kingdom way. Is that while we're on a mission to get to God, He's on a mission to get to us. And Jesus is the vehicle that makes that way possible as a two-way street. And there are times, man, when you really just, and you're reaching, and even maybe get up on your, the balls of your feet up on your tiptoes because you want to be as high as you can get. You want to reach as far up as you can that, that you really feel like He touched your fingertip. Is that just me? <laughs> you ever had that? Well, I'll tell you what, if you haven't had it, it's worth going after. It's worth going. It's better than whatever you're going to have for lunch. I guarantee it. But you listen. Sometimes we have to just exercise in a real practical way. Remember how I said a couple weeks ago that what we're after is God. We got a God-shaped space, and we're trying to fill it up. What we're after is God, and sometimes we just have to, yeah, you have all the spiritual stuff, you have the, all the feel-good stuff, but sometimes it requires just a real practical, physical act of exercise. And then He'll touch, He'll touch, and we know when it happens. And we'll know that 
it's been effective. We know it's making a difference. And then the next time we're in a worship environment or even maybe when we're sitting at home by ourselves, we just go, because I do this too. Sitting at home alone in the morning time. Just like that. Just reach. Father, I'm reaching for you. I'm reaching for you. I know you're reaching to me. And we're going to meet at spots along the way. We're going to meet. He's going to continue to teach. He's going to continue to raise us up. He's going to continue to bring maturity. He's going to continue to provide us with the counsel of the Holy Spirit. And when the enemy comes and says, hey, do this thing. It's okay. It's a good thing. It's a right thing. But I want you to do it the wrong way. We just immediately discern that and say, no, we're not doing that. Or when, or when we've been doing something that's been good and been effective and, ha- and made its mark, all of a sudden he'll let us know, hey, that was good. Now it's time for you to move to the next thing. Now it's time for you to go on down the road a little bit on this two-way street and meet me down here because i got something else to show you and i got something else I want you to do. That's the kingdom way. That's it. The way up and the way down are one and the same. He's coming to us and we're coming to him. So just, just make a commitment that you're going to dig in. You're going to chew on his words little bites at a time. You're going to meditate on that. You're going to commune with him every day. You're going to pray. You're going to join us here every time we get together for worship, if at all possible. You're going to reach to him privately and personally and corporately when we're here together. If we could, I've said this a couple times, if we could run a video of of where worship used to be here and where it is now, we would all get very excited because sometimes it evolves and you don't really realize it's happening. (laughs) But let me tell you something, we're going somewhere. And it's not because of our efforts, it's because of our commitment to walk in obedience. And he's the one who's producing results. Amen? Amen. Father, we commit and recommit one more time to knowing that Jesus is the way, truth, and the life, and that nobody can get into the heart of the Father except through him. We commit to getting up in the mornings and or whatever time during the day we can do it to sitting with you, chewing your words, receiving your counsel, sitting in silence and listening, sharing our needs and praying for one another, bearing one another's burdens. We commit to purity and holiness in our worship, born out of our lives in the Spirit. We commit to doing good stuff, but we also commit to doing it in the right way. And we're excited about where you're taking us. We're excited about where you're taking us. In your name we pray.